In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in our church calendar, if you weren't here at the beginning of the service, October 23rd marks the minor festival of St. James, brother of Jesus and martyr. And so this year, this minor festival fell on a Sunday, so I thought that it was going to be a great time to examine this, uh, this seldom mentioned but critically important character in the, in the New Testament so that we can come to a better understanding of how he, James, points us to his own brother, Jesus Christ. James's story is one that reflects ours in many ways. It's a journey from unbelief to belief, from rejection to faith, from death to life. And I think that we need to know his story today so that we can be encouraged by it, so that we can cling to it when it seems that everywhere we look, we see the religious temperature of our nation and the religious temperature of our neighbors grows cold. For so many of us, we're regularly troubled when we think of our loved ones, when we think of our family members, dear friends, co-workers who reject Jesus and want nothing to do with Him or His Word, His church, or His salvation. We're troubled by this. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, Jesus went to His hometown of Nazareth and He spent some time there uh, speaking and teaching and preaching in the synagogues as was His custom. You would have thought that this would be a thrilling experience, right? The world's greatest preacher, the Son of God, what that would have been like to hear the Lord teach, to hear it directly from His own mouth. The Word of God in the flesh expounding the mysteries of the kingdom of God and the excellencies of God's grace in the gospel. Oh, to hear it straight from Jesus. But for the people of Nazareth, that was anything but their experience. This is not how they took it at all. They were astonished, the text says, and not in a good way. So oftentimes in Scripture, whenever it uses that word astonished, it's usually not a good connotation. These people were perplexed by Jesus' claims because to them, this Jesus looked just like any other guy on the street in their backwoods, dusty town. You know that old saying, familiarity breeds contempt? They knew of his whole family, and these were rather ordinary people. How could this man be claiming to be the Son of God? Where did he get all this grandiose wisdom? Where did he get this ability to perform these miracles? There must be some funny business going on. And the people of Nazareth were not saying anything new. They were not saying anything that Jesus hadn't heard before. At the beginning of John's Gospel, Philip found, uh, he found Nathanael, who's also called Bartholomew, and he told his fellow Israelite that they had found the true prophet that the Old Testament had foretold. It was Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael's response was telling. He said, can anything good come from Nazareth? He, he knew of the place. There was no way that that long-promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, the prophet to fulfill all the prophecies, would come from a place like Florence, Texas. Or pick your any random dusty Texas town, right? That was the first one I thought of. But Philip 
to his credit, he did not miss a beat whenever Nathaniel raised that question. He was perfect with his response. He said, come and see. But for the people at Nazareth who rejected Jesus that day, they had seen him. They had heard his teachings from his own mouth, and they had some level of familiarity with, uh, with his miracles. So why would they reject him outright like they did? Well, on the surface, if, if we just survey the situation, it seemed that Jesus was so ordinary that he was so familiar that they could not believe even if they wanted to. But there's a much deeper reality at play here. Scripture tells us about the nature of unbelief. The truth is that they, they rejected Jesus because Scripture says that they were blinded by the enemy, according to 2 Corinthians 4. They were deceived by their own sin and they suppressed the truth in, right, in unrighteousness. So the cause of their unbelief was not the ordinary nature of Jesus. The cause of their unbelief was a deeply entrenched spiritual reality because all are conceived and born into this world in sin with this corrupted nature that hates God and rejects His Son. And sadly, this has been the default setting of every person who has ever lived since the fall of Adam. The people of Nazareth took offense at Jesus because they were dead in sins and trespasses. And even though Jesus would earnestly call them to believe in him through his word and miracles, they would reject him because they were hardened by the deceitfulness of their own sins and they were cemented in their unbelief. Think of the people that you know and love who for whatever reason reject Jesus or, are, or they're indifferent to him. I don't know which one is worse. It's common to hear demeaning suggestions that Jesus was a fine moral teacher or that he was a laudable spiritual guru or one of my favorites, that Jesus is just one of several paths to heaven or to God. Our culture seems to tolerate Jesus when, it, when they can appropriate his teachings and whenever they can fit them into their own political schema and use it to attack Christians. So you know what people say about Jesus? You're not deaf or blind. You think about the people in your life who you would love to see devoted to the Lord. But do you know why they're not? Do you know why they reject His Word, His church, His salvation? It's not because Christianity is no fun. No, it's not because Christianity is irrelevant. It's not because Christianity is too this or too that. You fill in the blank. It's because they are dead in sins and trespasses, just as we all once were. Point blank. This is the reason for rejecting Jesus. And coincidentally enough, in our gospel text, whenever the people of Nazareth name Jesus' family members, they include James. You see, James grew up calling the Lord his own brother. And whether James was a biological brother that Mary gave birth to after Jesus' virgin birth, or whether he was taken in due to a, a death of a family member, there's been plenty of debate about that over the centuries. I'm not interested in hashing all that out today. But what we know is that James is referred to as the brother of our Lord by the apostles, specifically Paul in Galatians. 
Now, maybe James's familiarity with his own brother bred contempt, but what we know about him is that he too was once dead in sins. And not just by virtue of being born into this world, he, we, we know that he was dead in sins because he rejected his brother as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Because in John's gospel, it flat out says, not even Jesus' brothers believed in him in chapter 7. James would have heard those complaints. He would have heard the, the questioning, the mockery, the condescending tone of those Nazarites on that day. As they rejected Jesus, he would have heard all that and he would have agreed. But by the grace of God, that is about the sum of what we know about James's unbelief. Because the Lord Jesus was not content to write him off or to leave him there. For James, there was a game changer. There was something that happened which completely turned everything upside down in his life such that he would no longer be the same. What was it? I almost wish I could say that there was somewhere in the Bible that you could go to that we could read about this radical conversion story by J uh, of James, that, that, that the whole story was lined out for us. But all we have to go on is this little verse in 1 Corinthians 15 that says this, Then Jesus appeared to James, then to all the apostles. What was Paul talking about there? The resurrection, of course. We're not told about James's reaction. We're not given intimate details about the light bulbs that came on as he began to confess his own brother to be God in the flesh, the eternal word of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the redeemer of the world. We don't have all of those juicy details. What we do know is what happened after Jesus appeared to James in his resurrected body. For starters, we see him leading the charge at the first ecumenical council in Acts chapter 15, which was our first reading this morning. There was this major controversy in the early church. Surprise, surprise. Right? There's a major controversy. There's a disagreement over whether new converts should be circumcised. And James helped settle that score by citing his own brother, the Lord Jesus, as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And from there, James would serve as a bishop in Jerusalem faithfully until the bitter end, because history records, the, uh, the Jewish historian Josephus records that James was put to death by stoning right around 62 AD on account of his faith in Jesus, who by then was not just his brother, but came to be his Lord. In our Bible, we have a, a letter that's penned by James under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit where James calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in that letter that he calls all of the faithful to boldness of their witness and endurance under trials, faithfulness unto death, and a faith that is living and active, a faith that is worked out in the good works of our vocations. What could have brought James to believe that his own brother, the one whom he grew up with and shared everything with for those 30 long years, the one who likely got on his nerves because he was so perfect, so righteous, what is the only thing that changed the game for James? Was it his own reason or strength? 
Nothing other than a cross and a resurrection would do the trick. And the Lord had one up his sleeve. Not just any miracle would do, as the people of Nazareth showed. The Lord came to him as the conqueror of death, the resurrected Son of God, and James had no choice from then on. He saw what he saw. He knew what he knew. He was no longer a skeptic, but through the miracle of the resurrection, he became James the just, the servant of God. He was no longer offended by Jesus like the people of Nazareth, but he was blessed as James came to confess Jesus as the true God, begotten of, father, begotten of his father from all eternity and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary. So while the deceitfulness of sin causes unbelief, while our own sins cause us to reject Jesus, it is the miracle of the resurrection that causes salvation. And how is it that the miracle of the resurrection comes to us today? Because the miracle of the resurrection happened some 2,000 years ago. How is it that it comes to us in this time and place? Through the word and sacraments, church. The Holy Spirit brings that same resurrected Christ to you here and now, where He creates faith in your heart, where He kills the unbelief that you cannot kill yourself, and where He makes you a servant of God like James the Just. It's that same word of promise that James would stake his reputation and his own life upon, one that he would go to his grave confessing so that the world would know that his brother, the Lord Jesus, is the Savior of the world and that there is salvation in no one else and there is no other name given under heaven by which men should be saved. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus told his disciples, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That's you. You're not offended by Jesus like the people of Nazareth were that day when he taught in the synagogues. You do not reject Jesus like James once did. And it's not because you made a good decision. It's because the resurrected Lord came to you and caused your dead heart, which was under the curse of sin and death, to come alive again and beat to the rhythm of his kingdom. Whenever you first came to faith in Christ, whether it was by baptism or by hearing the word, it was the same Lord Jesus who appeared to James and caused his dead heart to live. And because he brought the resurrection to you and all the gifts that go along with it, you will never be the same. He comes to you continually today in the means of grace to lavish you with his love, his forgiveness, and his salvation. And you are never the same So when we're troubled by the unbelief that we see around us, when we're troubled by the rejection of Jesus that we see in those whom we love, we are never without hope. The same Holy Spirit who has called you by the gospel earnestly longs to do the same for them. And he wants to use you as an instrument to do so, just like he used James. It is the resurrection that causes salvation. It is the word of God that brings that salvation to them just like it did for you. People, won't, people aren't going to be one with plausible arguments. They're not going to be one with our vain attempts to make Christianity more palatable to them, but only 
with the word of promise, the gospel that the Holy Spirit uses to turn doubters into disciples, skeptics into servants of God. And so as you go out into this world to live as a servant of your Lord, remember who it is that goes with you, that you are never alone, but that the resurrected Lord is on your lips and he is in your heart. And people may scoff at you whenever they see you. They may look at you and say, how did you come by these words? Aren't you just that person from Florence, Texas? You are too ordinary. If people may say that to you, know that Jesus is not daunted by that. He's dealt with it all before. In fact, he has a resurrection up his sleeve. So the peace of our resurrected Lord, the one whom James confessed unto the death, guard your hearts and minds until he comes again. Amen.